Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on RSG One Mike, Rocky Top is well, Rocky these days. You got you got to check out what's going on down there in Tennessee. Uh, the Buckeyes stay alive, and Chip Kelly goes to Hollywood. And we have a special guest joining us, our good friend and uh, uh, and, and colleague at ESPN Madison, Tony Cartagena, uh, to talk about everything, badges and other things, here on RSG, One Mike, with your boy Hank and D Wills. This thing right here is for my people's streets. Yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show, this one might be. There is a pause. Throughout the stadium, as this man sounds like he just coughed up a lung. Just looking around, the jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need? Uh, CPR or something And then at that particular time I lost it <laughs> Devon Yes, yes, yes Today Phoenix is another place They got a great uh, training staff I mean they, they were able to breathe life back into Shaq And you can do that you know, People talk a lot about their <laughs> training staff Yes, yes, today you know, as we start this show, this one mic. Welcome to RSG One Mic on the uh, Real Sports Guys platform. Uh, this is the show where we, we usually take a topic uh, pretty deep. And uh, this week, uh, we kind of been consecutive weeks uh, dealing with this topic, but it's a hot topic. It continues to be college football. And uh, we'll get deep into that uh, uh, along with my, my partner, good friend, Hank Davis, uh, as well as we'll have a special guest tonight uh, that uh, in some ways got some of his start on, on this platform with us as he was working his way up through uh, the uh, media ranks. And, and now he's establishing himself and it's good that he'll come back to the old neighborhood, uh, Tony Cartagena uh, from ESPN Madison. And, uh, you know, he's an insider with the Badgers and knows everything Badgers. But, you know, this is a guy that's uh, pretty knowledgeable about sports. And so we're glad to have him spend a little bit of time uh, with us. The host and all callers are brought to you by Carbon World Health, your complete solution for fitness, health, and beauty. Go to CarbonWorldHealth.com to connect with Dr. Nestor Rodriguez and his staff uh, and let them know that the real sports guys sent you. Just make sure you say hi to, to Ashley over there. She's the other uh, co-owner uh, over there who has been working with me and get me back on my uh, on my uh, on, on my way uh, my mother I was home in uh, Ann Arbor Michigan and mother had a chance to see me I think she was surprised how much weight I lost uh hanging out I told I was hanging out with Nestor Rodriguez and and company and they they've been they've been helping to transform me so show them love for us at Real Sports Guys and you can always find us at uh Real Sports Guys 
on all social media platforms. You know, connect with us, interact with us. We love it. But come strong. Don't come wrong because we will let you know. We'll we'll bring out, uh, you know, our, our, our dog. We call him cocaine. And we will be, he'll, he'll bark on you if you come soft on that social media platform. We, we take no prisoners. So if you come, don't come weak on it. Uh, we'll get to you. But today, hey, it's Rocky at the top. And it's Rocky in Rocky Top Country. We know that it's crazy over there. Uh, but before I do it, I gotta, you know, I gotta welcome my guy, uh, Hank Davis, on to life. How you doing, Hank? How's it going? I'm doing good, D. Good to talk to you. Uh, hate that I missed you uh, this week. I want to take the time to wish you and yours and the others a happy belated Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, you take the time. We always take time to watch a little bit of football. And to eat and, and get our stomachs full. I know some of us right now today is probably having turkey overload, but really it's a time to to really uh, just take a step back and to really give thanks for things that you're really thankful for, you know. Uh, and, and to take pause for that. We didn't have a show last week to really discuss that, but you know, you just take a moment to say what you're thankful for. You're always thankful for your family. You're always thankful, you know, for friends and, and your health. And you just got talking about, you know, losing the weight that you're losing and, and just the people who encourage you to do all that. You know, I want to take that time, too. But also, I want to say I am so thankful for college football. I mean, it is just drama from day one <laughs> to day whatever. And then last weekend was no exception. We go into the uh, conference play, um, conference games, championship games going into next week. And, oh, my God. It is just something to behold. It, it has been a breath of fresh air this year. The one thing that has been constant about this season, D, as you know it, is the inconsistency. And if you yeah. are a fan, you've got something to watch. You've got something to sit down. You ain't even got to have a rooting interest to go get the popcorn ready and just enjoy your Saturdays. And, man, there hasn't been a Saturday that has gone by even though my beloved Wolverines have fallen back into the uh, lowercase M this year for mediocre. But that being said, that can't be said about the rest of the year. Yeah, and and I would say, you know, I had a chance to – I was in the big house this weekend. Um, you know, uh, it didn't have the kind of outcome uh, that uh, we wanted to see, but there is nothing like a big game at the big house. The, en- the energy, you, you, you walk it up to the stadium and Fox got their setup uh, there. They got their stuff set up outside of the, of, the, of the stadium. You know, you got the Buckeye fans coming in. You got Michigan fans in there. You got the, uh, you got the food flowing. Um, it, it, it was, uh, it was quite, quite an experience. I would think uh, the folks over there at Michigan who showed me some hospitality going up in there and, uh, 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 got me uh, got me into the space and I hung out over there with the Buckeye fans and did let them know that uh, we will see them next week. Uh, uh, the Badgers will be seeing them next week uh, uh, to 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 take care of them. But the number of people, I mean, what I want to say, I want to say this to Michigan Wolverine fans: I learned something from a great orator. Uh, his name is Aaron Rodgers. When he said R E L A X, relax, Re- relax, folks. Quit jumping off. I had to pull more people off the off the ledge Saturday night uh, 
down to slow down the drifting uh, because um, we are in this moment. This is a prime example of, you know, uh, we want to have microwave success without looking at the, at the things that have already been accomplished since uh, Jim Harbaugh's return to Ann Arbor. First of all, the program is relevant. The program right. wasn't relevant under Grady Hope. The program wasn't relevant under Rich Rodriguez. It wasn't relevant. It's relevant. Um, he's attracting players. The second thing about it is you all, everybody knew that the final piece of the puzzle for him was the quarterback position. But I would say that the, that position didn't lose this game. The, the, the position that lost this game was the defensive coordinator. You're up 14 nothing, And I was saying this, and Ohio State fans are up there like looking at me like, how do you know this? I've watched Ohio State play several times over the past couple years, several times in person. And I, um, I was not surprised that Ohio State got blown out by Clemson because Clemson figured out what I had already known, is that Urban Meyer, um, the thing that I say makes him great, is that he's developed an offense that allows the ball 80% of the time to get into his best player's hands. That's how, how he plays it. And uh, the problem he has right now is uh, uh, his quarterback cannot throw at all any intermediate routes. And as long as you play man-to-man, you play into his hands to, to, for two reasons is the only ball his quarterback can throw is the deep ball or the crossing route where usually you're trailing. It's an easy throw for him. He can't throw any routes that intermediate routes. He just can't do it. He almost threw two interceptions when they did play zone. So that's one thing. The other thing is uh, that when he gets nervous like that, when they don't score, the first thing they do is you will see him running. And when he breaks contained, if you're in a man-to-man, that means everybody's got their back turned to you. And the number of times that Michigan decided to play man-to-man rather than just straight zone so that everybody could see and look and, and be there. When he broke contained, when he broke up in the middle, a linebacker was there to bring him down. Would have been all the difference in the world. On this, on this first touchdown drive, he had 54 yards rushing. And I said it right before the drive. I, said, I looked at the guy and said, they're not going to pass the ball. They're going to run the ball. And Braxton is going, and he go, he and Barrett's going to run every time. He's going to touch the ball just about every time. He had 54 yards rushing, wasn't even looking to pass. And so I think part of that game for me was the defensive coordinator could not get away uh, from playing man to man. He played too much man against Wisconsin. So I think one of the things is that a scheme letting you down when you know your offense can't help you that much. And when they give you a 14 nothing lead. With that defense, you should be able to shut Ohio State down. And so I watched that. That's something that we will see the Badgers do against Ohio State. You can guarantee that. And so that's one of the things that is something about when I watch Ohio State is smoke and mirrors. He shifts. He does that. Number two going to get the ball and, and or Barrett going to have the ball. They'll throw to kind of keep you honest. But at the end of the day, he wants to run the football. Now, number seven comes in the <laughs> – now, he's a whole different thing. The thing about it is when, when Barrett got hurt, it was almost like people would rather have him in the game because when they brought the young fellow off the bench, everybody knew he could throw. That changed the game up a little bit. So I, 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 when I looked at that game, I was more disappointed in the defense than I was in the offense. Having said that, John O'Corn, throw the ball out of bounds. Throw it out of bounds, man. 
When you roll out, if he ain't open, hit Jim Harbaugh right between the numbers. Don't take the sack. Don't get in the second in 48 when you could just throw the ball out of bounds. Like, you, you can't do that when you've got a person who's supposed to be, what, is he a graduate transfer? Like, he should know that. Right. So how do you coach that? Something that you should know from the time you were in middle school. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Hold on to the ball. So, but the thing about it is he's got to set up two young quarterbacks who uh, the key is he basically got to start Peters for the, uh, for the bowl game, use this as a start to spring football, and he'll get all these snaps by the time he gets into the season uh, next year. He'll have a bowl game under him, and then he'll have the preseason. And by the time you get to – you'll have a totally different kind of look at quarterback if people can just relax. So that was my experience being in the big house, observing it up front, seeing what I saw. I felt very disappointed for some of those defensive players who played their heart out, uh, who, you know, were just – they were schemed out of the kinds of things that would allow them to be more accept, uh, more successful. So, but, uh, you know, one thing I will say about Ohio State is them cats, those kids battle. Uh, you know, they battled, and, and as much as they want to talk about Ohio State's talent, I just think they – these guys, in many ways, sometimes are overachievers from, from what you see when you watch them up. But there's nothing – flashy about them um you, i hear a lot of stuff about it but they got a lot of holes they just somehow make up for it i see more holes on defense and offense on that team but they just believe they gonna win it's a it's a different mentality so that was good that's by my one report from the big house uh and um you know you got to wait till next year but there's a big game coming up this saturday down there in indianapolis and I'm looking forward to talking to Tony, who I know will be in the building when he comes and joins us uh, here on One Mic. Hank, what were you trying to reflect on? That was one that was kind of close there. I want to kind of, since you know, since this, uh, you know, you know, my brother Steve didn't want to talk about that at all, so I can't talk. To him. <laughs> He's sick. He probably still sick today, so I can't talk to him about. It. I have to talk to you to figure out, you know, how you felt about what I just said about that game. Well, I, you spot on when it came to the defense, and I was losing my mind, and if I had any hair, I would have pulled it out. Because you're sitting here and you've got a quarterback that if you're watching on film any of the games where he struggled, it was because uh, they, there, was, there was an effort by the defense to stop the run and force J.T. Barrett to throw the football to beat you. This is what Iowa did. This is mm-hmm. what uh, Penn State did till they fell apart. Okay, then they then you realize that their secondary couldn't cover nobody. I did not understand the one the man the man to man's uh, scheme uh, that uh, um, that that Don Brown was running because it drove me nuts. Because it's the same way they beat their brains out two years ago when Tim Drevno. I'm sorry, not Tim Drevno. No, but when um, uh, uh, DJ Durkin when Durkin was the was the uh, defensive coordinator. Okay, because you you run your man off the line of scrimmage, the wide receivers, and you've got all this room to run, and the linebackers are got their back to you. And that's you're right. That's what they did in the first drive. Michigan uh, offense spotted that team a 14 nothing lead at home. Okay, you knew what you had with John O'Corn. You know what you had with Wilton Spate. Okay, these are guys that are just middle of the road to average or below average quarterbacks that Jim Harbaugh did all he could, in my opinion, to teach them how to play. And they probably uh, practiced very well. 
but they obviously weren't prime-time performers, and we saw that. I think what Michigan fans are going to look at and what grinds their backside is that after everything you said, and as accurate as, what, as, as your assessment is, watching it right there up close and personal, they still had a chance to pull that game out. Mm-hmm. And on the last play, when John O'Corn threw the ball to absolutely nobody, anybody <laughs> watching that game, and I know you saw it too, saw two players curl back was, to the quarterback, wide open, and he decided to throw the punt anyway. And see, there's something between that kid, that kid's ears that just does not resonate to game time, okay? And that's what cost him his job at Houston. I'm venturing to guess that he probably has more physical talent than Wilton Spate has because when he get between the lines, when the game is on the line, he just doesn't have the um, uh, intellectual acumen to get it done. That means he ain't got the smarts to do it, okay? Whereas when you look at uh, – <laughs> whereas when you look at Wilton Spate, um, he may have the smarts to do it, but he does not have the intestinal fortitude to get it done. That means he's lighting the butt too. All right. So there's what you got. There's what you got from what was left over from the Brady Hoke era. Now moving forward, Jim Harbaugh has had the opportunity to go ahead and um recruit his own quarterbacks. Uh, Brandon Peters, who, you know, should have started this game if it wasn't for the fact that he got swinging gates for offensive linemen and allowing anybody to come in there and just absolutely commit, you know, murder on his quarterbacks. Okay, that has to be fixed. I would like to see him make some real changes in the offseason with his coaching staff to make sure that his players are developing as quickly as your Ohio State players, as your Michigan State players, as your Penn State players. Okay, everybody has a young team, and yet Michigan, for some reason, this is where Harbaugh is getting his, is because they were looking for him to turn water into wine in two and a half years. Okay, you're absolutely right. The program is relevant, and the fans are trying to make him be responsible for 10 years of futility. It's not going to happen that way in Ann Arbor, okay? He's going to do things his way. I think, though, the program is, is in good hands, and you're right. Fans need to pump the brakes. They're not going. He's not going to just walk in the door, coming behind uh, Brady Hoke and be a national champion, as as uh, um, Jim as uh, Urban Meyer came behind Jim Trussell and became a national champion, or Bill O'Brien, who's a decent coach, and and James Franklin came behind him. Okay, and then it took Nick Saban three or four years to get it right. So they might we might as well be cool from a Michigan fans' perspective and let Jim Harbaugh be Jim Harbaugh and let Michigan be Michigan. But as far as next week, you brought it up. Uh, I think that uh, when you look at this Wisconsin team, um, I just really do believe that they're going to beat the pants off Ohio State. I, You know, I wouldn't have thought that, but given what I think you're going to see with the defensive scheme, um, what you're going to see with them, with their ability to stop the run, and keep in mind, they stopped Ohio State from running the ball last year, okay? Yep. Just that, you know, with Hornybrook and the other quarterback that you guys had and, and uh, Paul Chris's inability to really settle on one right away, I think uh, uh, you got a better running back this year than you had with Clemens last year, and I know that's saying something with him being a pro. But I think that young man's ability to get out in space and take it to the house I think makes a big difference in that offense. He reminds me more of Melvin Gordon 
uh, in the way he runs the football. So I think that's going to make a big difference going into next week's game. I'm looking for uh, Wisconsin to make a statement. I'm looking for them to to, to, to take Ohio State. I think because, again, Ohio State, if nothing else, they prove it. When in an emotional game, they have a tendency to have a little bit of a letdown. There's no more of an emotional game than a Michigan game, okay? Uh, and we saw what happened after the Michigan game last year when they played Clemson. We saw what happened this year after the uh, Penn State game, which they came back and won. And you and so I look for Wisconsin to keep the trend going, okay? And and yeah, so for this this week, yeah, uh, go Badgers. <laughs> <laughs> Man, and 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 when you look at and you know we're going to get into um, uh, some of the stuff in our uh, our our full uh, blessed the mic segment when we, when we get uh, into it, but uh, I, I guess I want to cover this one so we don't have to wait. We can get to it, and when when Tony joins us, we'll 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 focus a, um, a little bit on his preparation for this Big Ten championship and some of the other things that I think Tony can uh, contribute to, but. What is going on in Tennessee? And what I mean, twenty-four hours. They ran a social media campaign like, 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 like they had people from Obama working for them in the field. I mean, they turned the momentum around on them so quick. I mean, you went from a an agreement to 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 nothing. Like you, you got a signed memorandum of understanding, and all of a sudden. The, they they run a campaign and you pull it off the table. What is going on down in 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 in, in Knoxville? Could you believe that? On some I hearsay. Believe it. I I kind of understand it, but then I kind of don't. Okay. In Tennessee, uh, if any volunteer fans out there and you guys were responsible for this, understand what you just did. You just you just put a wrench into getting a successful coach to come to Knoxville, Tennessee, and coach your football team, okay? And Greg Schiano, now I know he's a Buckeye, but let's face it, Greg Schiano has coached uh, a Rutgers team and made them relevant when he was there, okay? He's coached in the NFL, and now he's coaching the defense of a team that is playing for the Big Ten Championship, Okay? So you want to you want and for those who don't know, the protest came because uh, Greg Schiano's uh, relationship with Jerry Sandusky. If you remember Jerry Sandusky, he was the coach that was indicted and convicted on child molestation at Penn State. And you know that whole coaching staff at that time, they claimed that folks knew what was going on and these sort of things, and they didn't report it. So. Uh, unsubstantiated reports that Ciano knew what was going on, and so here's a Tennessee fan all of a sudden going to put on their moral hats and say that because he knew Jerry Sandusky, so now uh, he we don't want him coaching our football program. Okay, fine. Who else do you think going to come there now? Okay. Daryl Hazel is available. Y'all know who Daryl Hazel is? Well, Daryl Hazel used to coach at Purdue. He don't know nobody. Okay, but think about this. Okay, uh, but 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 he ain't got. He don't know nobody. But that's the kind of coaches you've now regulated yourself to getting. Okay, because anybody go unless you can go and get the ghost of 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 uh, a former or somebody like that or Johnny Majors, you're going to be uptight. All right, this ain't the time. You got Greg Ciano is a good coach. All right, make no mistake about it. Ohio State ties or not, he's a good coach. 
and he would have been a good fit because he knows how to build programs at the college, at the collegiate level. He did it at Rutgers, all right? But all of a sudden, y'all want to put your moral hats on, and there you go. And, and, and the thing is, it doesn't make sense to me, D, because, you know, I, I thought I, I, I thought it was rather quick, but these, but these programs are moving fast because they got to get these coaches in so they don't lose their recruits, all right? And um, – but but now what they've done is again, who who are you going to go and get? All right now I know your boy just got let go, but does he take that risk now? Okay, does he know anybody that's going to get him corrupt? You know this is the kind of thing that 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 uh, these programs need to pay attention to. And you're right, they caved real quick. I'm not overly surprised, given the location and everything. But but it's just it's odd to me that in the world we live in today, right, and not to get over the top political, but in the world we live in today, with all the craziness that's right on the top shelf, here's a guy that knew a guy, and now he loses a job opportunity because of it. Not because he did anything wrong, but because he knew the guy who did. That's the thing that makes me scratch my head. Yeah, and uh, and I, I, like I told you, I remember when you and I were talking about the possible opening there, and I said, you know, they're going to have to just go. They should go get T. Martin. That's that's yeah. your alum. That's somebody who understands this. He's got a great right. reputation for offensive coordinator. You know, get him out of here. He's over at USC. And, you know, you're, that's who you're going to have to get. Don't think about getting a big name. When, get somebody who knows your program, who understands it, who helped lead you to a national title. Get someone like T. Martin to come and run it. I think that's what you're going to have to do. If I'm the AD, that's what I'm doing. And – uh, I think that might be your best move, you know, because y'all obviously think y'all are getting Gruden. Look, Gruden making too much money, living too comfortable, kicking his feet up. He got to be foolish to leave that job he got. He he flirting with y'all like, like he doing that with everybody. He not going to college. He's a pro coach, uh, 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 and that's where he going to be if he does something. You know, but he is, he's got it too good to be, he's doing quarterback camps. I mean, he get, he ain't got to worry about wins and losses on, on, on Tuesday morning. And he making all that kind of money. Ain't no one in the world you're going to get him out of bed for that. Oh, no. You need to set your sights. You as delusional as the you know, Michigan fans used to be around who they thought they were supposed to get. And so you need to code. You need to get somebody to come home again. Well, hey, I'm going to say it like this. We've been fortunate enough to have a lot of great folks come through RSG as we've been building this. And our special guest tonight, you know, he, he, he's literally, he's literally family uh, to me. Uh, and uh, I remember he came on as he was coming out. He was, a, I think, an undergrad at the time doing Big Ten Network. Now, now he's a big, big wig stumping with the big talks. And we're lucky enough to have him here. Tonight, he, I consider him a, a Badger insider. Uh, he's a, a director of content over there at ESPN Madison. Uh, he's been uh, on ESPN over in Cleveland, uh, worked with uh, a number of great folks, I think building an exciting career. We're going to hear more about him. You know, it's my boy, Tony Cartier. How you doing, Tony? What's up, man? How's it going? Guys, thanks so much for having me. That intro was way too complimentary, by the way, Devon. Man, I'm telling you, you 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 know me. Every time I see you, man, I'm proud. I just I kind of I want to put I want to tear up every time I see you because I know how hard you work. 
to get where you are. And I'm and what I love about you is you never forget about us. You know, you always show me love and help me out and uh, learn this game. And you know, it's one of those things, Hank. When you know when the uh, when the mentor becomes a mentee, it's one of them flip things. You know, this, this young man is always mentoring me, helping me understand how to how to navigate this. He know I'm trying to come with the underground strategy. So he's been helping me uh, through this, and I, pr- I definitely appreciate you, man, being with us here tonight. Um, there's a lot I wanted to cover with you, man. You know, we just finished, and, uh, you know, Hank was laying out, uh, you know, we uh, I was in Ann Arbor at the Michigan game, had a chance to see the Buckeyes uh, up close and personal um, uh, against Michigan. Um, uh, I talked a lot about uh, – it, it frustrates me when I watch people try to play against the Buckeyes not realizing that Barrett um, is one-dimensional. I even uh, tweeted to, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, to uh, Maurice Claret, you know, I hit Mo, I was like, man, he's too one-dimensional against Wisconsin. He even he tweeted back, I agree. And yet people consistently play man-to-man against them <laughs> and allow him to scramble and just run forever uh, without uh, having it. So I, I, I'm excited about what I'll see, but – how do you think the Badgers, as someone who spent a lot of time around that team, how do you think they're prepared for this challenge given their recent history against the Buckeyes? I think you kind of got to throw the recent history out the window, and you have to look at a game like last season at Camp Randall on a cold November night that ended up going to overtime, and the way that Wisconsin essentially controlled JT Barrett in the pocket until they got to third and long situations and he was able to escape out of the pocket. But passing wise, they were able to control him. And I think the team this year is a little bit different. And I don't say that as a knock against a Vince Beagle or TJ Watt and the guys they had in the system last year, because those guys are all world college players. But I think what the Badgers offer this year is one of the more disciplined defenses in the country, if not the most disciplined. And that's why you saw today defensive coordinator Jim Leonard get become a finalist for, you know, the assistant coach of the year award and things like that. Because when you look at where the Badgers have struggled against JT Barrett in the past, it's not been his ability to throw the ball 30, 30 yards down the field. And they've had some good wide receivers come through that program. They struggled with that against Cardell Jones in 2014. But against JT Barrett, they have struggled with his ability to either go left or go right, right around the tackle after a play kind of breaks down, after the pass rush comes comes in a little too hot, comes in a little too high, and allows him to escape. But what I think the Badgers have this year, which you saw a lot of this past Saturday uh, against Emory Croft, is the ability to stay home. And not even the ability to stay home, just the wherewithal to stay home. And you have a guy like Leon Jacobs, who I, I kid you not, I don't think anyone has broken contain on him this entire season. And then you have a guy mm-hmm. like TJ Edwards, who is more than deserving to be All-American, who is going to stay home and let the play come to him because he knows where not to get beat. And then when the play comes to him, he's going to make a play on the outside. And then if you just want to add in the, they're not even afterthoughts, they're star studded performers on that defensive side of the football, like Ryan Conley, like Garrett Dooley, a young guy like Andrew Van Ginkle, who they all have so many talents, but they all know to play within themselves, but more importantly, play within the system. And that's why Wisconsin's defense is so good this year. I don't think you look at – you look at guys on Wisconsin's defense, you look at a T.J. Edwards, and you understand – and when Dakota Dixon's healthy, he's a DB. And you understand how good he is as an individual player. You understand that he's going to be an NFL player. He might not be a first-round draft pick, but he's going to be an NFL player. 
similar to Joe Schobert, who is, you know, getting productive reps for the Cleveland Browns right now. Chris Borland was a third-round pick, and he was all-rookie first team in the NFL. So you look at guys like that, and you understand they might not be your first-round picks who are going to be absolute studs like a Nick Bosa from Ohio State, but they are guys that play great team football, great team defense. And that's where I think Wisconsin has the advantage against Ohio State, specifically when they're game planning for JT Barrett, because this defense, show me one better in the country. I, and I, that's I'm one, very hard pressed to find one. Well, and, and I've been singing it from the rooftops uh, 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 with it uh, uh, about that. And, and part of what, and we had Garrett Dooley on, um, and uh, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. Talking mm-hmm. about this, and, and I love Garrett, uh, and uh, you know he's a great example of a Wisconsin story. You know, this fifty-year guy, just kind of how they build through the program. But but one of the things I, you know, we, we asked him about Jim Leonard, and um, the, the thing he's, you know, he said about Jim Leonard, it feels like you know he's like a player, right? He has he has this insight um, about the game, um, and the part that I think has been the strongest and probably uh, hasn't been highlighted as much is. Well, I used to be nervous about Wisconsin's defense is always strong up the middle. I was always nervous about how their corners would play, whether they come up with a mm-hmm. run or whether they could cover. But what I've seen is the way that they force on the corner, the way they covered like that back end, the front seven has always been, but the back end of that defense is something that I've really see grow. Have you, have you seen that as part of Leonard's, you know, kind of his imprint on it, given, you know, his position background and things like that? Does it look like that defensive backfield has a lot more cohesiveness? I think so, absolutely. And I think a lot of that started last year when they kind of fell apart in, during the Big Ten championship game. At one point in that game last year against Penn State, they were up by 21 points. And then I think in the span of nine throws, Trace McSorley completed nine passes for nearly 200 yards and three touchdowns. Yes. And yes. they were embarrassed and they were beat up. And I was in that locker room afterwards and I was talking to Dakota Dixon, who could barely make a word uh, because he was just so emotional. I felt bad even talking to him. And, you know, one of the things he was saying was that we were, we're better than this. And they knew they were better than that then. And I think the work they put in in the offseason definitely shows. And I think, you know, bringing it all back to Jim Leonard, who I just think has been doing such an amazing job this year, no one wants to uh, not be better than their 38-year-old coach, right? I mean, how yep. many coaches are as young as Jim Leonard? And he's one of the best DBs to ever do it at Wisconsin. He's got the records. He has, you know, the resume of playing in the NFL a lot longer than anyone ever thought he would. And uh, guys are trying to be as good as Jim Leonard was at Wisconsin. Guys are trying to be as good as Jim Leonard was at the next level. And I think that's extremely motivating for this team. But then I do look at last year in that Big Ten title game, Sojourn Shelton, uh, he's obviously gone on to uh, to sign yeah. with a couple NFL teams, but they didn't really throw in his direction. He was, he was a field-tilting player. I think people forget how yeah. good of a corner he was here at Wisconsin. And then you look at this season, and with still a championship and a bowl game to play, Nick Nelson has already set the record for pass breakups for in Wisconsin mm-hmm. history. I believe he set it two weeks ago with, with his 20th, and he has even more since then. That's unbelievable. And he was talked about as coming in as, as being a huge, huge difference maker. And then people thought he kind of got off to a slow start because he doesn't have the gaudy interception stats and the gaudy punt return stats. But what he's able to do is to take away an, an entire side of the football field. And as JT Barrett is game planning or as Dwayne Haskins is game planning, uh, if, if the freshman quarterback for Ohio State has to play, they look at Nick Nelson's side of the field, especially 
if the strong safety in Dakota Dixon is leaning anywhere in that direction, that side of the yeah. field's gone. That's eliminated because you don't throw in that direction. There, there hasn't been a receiver who has really been able to take full advantage of that. I mean, I know he struggled early in the season against FAU. I forget his name. They have a six six kid who's going to be like a third round NFL draft pick. And Nick Nelson was still learning the Wisconsin system really because he sat out all of last year after you know after transferring from Hawaii. But he's been that good. So I look at him and I look at Dakota Dixon as two of the leaders. And obviously you have a Derek Tindall and other guys on the back end who have been kind of playing lights out. But that combination right there, if mm-hmm. if Dakota Dixon's healthy and and, and he and uh, Natrell Jamerson and those guys are on the field with Nick Nelson. I mean, that defensive backfield is dangerous. They're fast, they're athletic, they make plays on the ball, and uh, and they're not as scared to get beat, which I think helps them a lot because they'll, they'll gamble on some plays knowing they have that safety help. you got a fifth-year guy like Joe Ferguson you throw in there who has, what, three interceptions this year, including yep. two touchdowns? I mean, they have depth at that spot, and I just think it's one hand washes the other, right? If the, if the pass rush is good, the DBs are going to look really good. But it, 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 against pro-style offenses this year, when the DBs have looked really, really good, they've made the pass rush look even good because you get those coverage sacks because you stop the QB, QB from running up the middle. So I do think it's a con- totally complete defense. Uh, the front seven, in my opinion, is the strongest side of that, and that's mostly because I have so much faith in the in the Dooley's and the Conley's and the and the TJ Edwards of the world. But those DBs are something serious too. And, and one of the things uh, before I uh, hand it over here to uh, Hank uh, to, to to ask you a few questions and. Uh, the, the thing you, I mean, what I love about you're connected, you have your, your network in terms of the, into the national media, um, uh, particularly being there at ESPN and, and tied in, um, you know, I did a podcast, uh, a few podcasts ago, uh, that I dropped, uh, about what I call the Wisconsin bias. And I know you talk to your guys in, in the network. What is it? How is it difficult for national media folks to get their arms around Wisconsin and and utilize the same evaluative tool that they use for other top teams. So I had that's interesting you bring that up. So I had a conversation with Stephen A. Smith not that long ago. We were we were mostly talking about the Green Bay Packers, and he says how he covers the Green Bay Packers like a national media person covers them, and I believe the term he was on a macro level where he he looks at them from the broad spectrum, and he doesn't look at the intricacies. I, I, I guarantee you there's a lot of college football analysts who couldn't tell you who Andrew Van Ginkle is because mm-hmm. he wasn't a five-star recruit, because they're not in Madison every day, because on some of the highlight films that they're watching in these packages that can put together for them, he may not show up. I mean, he may have shown up when he, when he hit Brandon Peters, but that's probably about it. But I think when you're in Madison and you're at the, at the level that we are watching every, each and every play a couple times per week, and, you know, trying to break it down that way, you understand that Wisconsin is not a school that needs to have five-star recruits. You look at – there was a caller on the Paul Feinbaum show the other day who – and that's obviously – that's a huge SEC show, lots of Southern bias <laughs> on that show. And a caller calls in and says, you know what, Wisconsin will take its 40th-ranked recruiting class and enjoy being the fifth-ranked team in the country. And this was, I believe, last week Tuesday when they had – when it came in at number five. <laughs> and – it's tougher, you know, and I don't really fault national media to be completely honest, because if you're covering so many different schools and so many different teams, you are going to spend most of your time with this team that are going to get you the most clicks, right? It's your Ohio mm-hmm. States, your Michigan's, even your Michigan States. If you're talking big 10, 
Outside of that, it's USC, UCLA, Texas, Bama, Florida, Clemson. You know, you know the, the the powerhouses of of attention, the powerhouse of where the fan bases are. But Wisconsin's never been a school that has had that because they don't have the number one overall recruiting class because their head coach isn't on the cover of Sports Illustrated or, to be frankly honest, they have yet to be the and they and they won't be the subject of a national investigation. That's just not how Wisconsin does things. So they don't really bring attention to themselves. All they do is play unbelievably consistent football since Barry Alvarez took over in 1991. And I think that is very, very hard to cover nationally. It's very, very hard to respect. And that hits a lot of different Wisconsin sports. Uh, You look at 38 and one against Kentucky. People didn't know who Josh Gosser and Ben Bruss were. I mean, Bruss wasn't on the team, but people didn't know who Josh Mm -hmm. Gosser was you know, that year. And he scored zero points in the national title game, but had a huge impact. And it's one of those things where I think you just have to know what's on the ground here to really appreciate it and to really understand the system that Wisconsin runs. And I mean, guys, it's a hell of a system. They're they're in the NCAA tournament and have a bowl game, I think every year in the past 16, one of maybe four or five schools that can say that. So it's an elite athletic program here at Wisconsin. It's just uh, not celebrated as much as it should be. And I think that's the way a lot of the guys here kind of like it yeah i could tell that with t i could tell that with talking to garrett and hanging around those guys they're they're okay with living in the shadows uh and they're okay with people downplaying them uh in a way and it's it's kind of interesting to watch them just they quietly revel in it and they just show up every week and, and keep putting them w's up hank i'm gonna throw it to you okay thank, hey tony welcome to the show man it's, it's been a pleasure just listening you guys just kind of like chew the fat on Wisconsin football. Uh, being a Wolverine, you know, I, it's a different insight to listen to you guys talk and be able to stomach it. But anyway, let me move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Alex Hornibrook. Um, in the, in, one of the things, one of the knocks on him uh, before these, these last couple of games was the turnovers, that, uh, that he had been turning the ball over a couple of times, uh, even in the game before they played um, – Michigan, there was concerns about him turning the ball over. Uh, what do you expect from him going into next next week's game, and do you expect uh, a lot of offense to run through him? So I, I think the offense is pretty much predicated on the run game, and if the run game can get going, how that's going to open up the pass game with a couple play-action passes. But you hit it right on the head. The turnover issue is huge. We made jokes all week that, you know, he broke the interception streak. He didn't throw one for the first time in eight games which was a feat for Alex Hornerbrook this year. But one of the things I think with him is that I have, I've come across a lot of athletes. And one of the things I've always noticed in the great ones, and I'm not saying he's a great quarterback by any means, but some of the guys that I have come across who I know are great athletes and great competitors is their ability to forget instantly that sports amnesia is a real thing where if you're a point guard, you don't remember your last turnover or your last assist. You just get back out there and you play the next play. And talking to Alex Hornibrook for the last two years, he has that unlike any other, where he can throw a pick, go to the bench, and act like it never happened. Paul Chris will give him a stare down, and they'll have a conversation about it if need be, but he acts like it never happened. And on plays after his interceptions this season, he's brought it. He's, you know, put some more heat on the ball. He's kind of learned from his mistakes on the fly, which I know doesn't show up in the, in the stat sheet, but I think it's a sign of maturity for sure. So the way I kind of look at him is that when is he going to have that costly turnover? Because if he has it in the first quarter, I have full faith that he bounces back almost instantly 
and can lead a touchdown drive. What we haven't seen Alex Hornibrook do yet, and he's played some good defenses, your Wolverines being probably the best one that he has faced and maybe will face, um, you know, depending on where they end up in the bowl game or in the college football playoff. But when does he make that mistake? Because if he makes that mistake in the fourth quarter, is there enough time to recover? And that's the biggest question mark we have with him locally. That's the biggest question mark I have with him. Uh, the same, same with Jonathan Taylor, the Badgers' true freshman running back, who will probably set the NCAA record for rushing yards from a true freshman this year. I think he's like 130 behind Adrian Peterson. But he's had some fumbling issues. Often they've been early in the game, and the defense has made up for it. But what happens if that fumble comes, you know, when you're up by three in the fourth quarter? What happens if that interception comes from Alex Hornibrook when you're up by three in the fourth quarter? Is there enough time to make good on that? And that's the part that worries me. Like, is the, they've been bitten in the past, but against you, you referenced the Iowa game. You throw two pick sixes, I believe, both in the first half. You have right. time to recover. Your defense is that good. Your running back is that good. You'll figure it out. Against Ohio State, can you do that? Can you live that way? I don't think so, especially if that mistake comes after the break. He almost, against Michigan, he threw a third-quarter interception, and it looked like that could be a huge turning point in that game. And he bounced back, luckily, for Wisconsin. So I look at that as – I don't want to use the term ticking time bomb with Alex Hornibrook because he's played a lot, a lot of, of collegiate football. But as a fan and as a reporter and as all of the above, you always have that in the back of your mind where when do you get too comfortable? When, when does he make that mistake? Because if he makes it at a costly time against a good opponent, which that will only face great opponents from here on out, it could cost him. Mm-hmm. So the other question I have for you is um, you guys kind of talked a little bit about the Wisconsin bias or a little bit about uh, that, that they, they, the nation feels like they haven't played anybody. But one of the issues with Wisconsin has been, you know, slow starts throughout the season, especially slow starts with uh, lesser opponents. Um, what do you think or, or what have they done to address that? And and, and then finally – uh, what do you what do what do you expect is going to happen this Saturday? So looking at the strength of schedule and things, I think the you know the ideology or the statements that they haven't played anybody completely true. They they thought FAU was going to be good and FAU has been. I think I believe they've won seven straight, but their conference is terrible. Uh, BYU when they scheduled this game back in 2015 was supposed to be a pretty solid program. That's when they had Taysom Hill. They were they were playing pretty good football. Their defense is supposed to be good this year, and they have a debacle out there in Utah. Um, but I look at this as like the year that they haven't had the very strong schedule because people forget the last three seasons, Barry Alvarez was on the college football playoff committee, and he was scheduling the games at Lambeau against LSU. He scheduled Alabama. He scheduled the, the two neutral games against LSU. Like he, he put big games on that schedule. Going forward, they announced the, the Notre Dame schedule uh, or the Notre Dame home-and-home, home, which isn't really a home-and-home, home, but – they they know that they have to have that strength of schedule if they're going to compete at the end of the season to get into the to get into the big dance and to get into that final four. So they're working on that. I mean that's been in the works, but some of these schedules were also made four or five years ago when some of these teams were maybe a little bit better or you know had expectations to be better in the future. So uh, as far as the Big Ten West, they can't control that Nebraska is no good. I mean hopefully they end up with Scott Frost. I heard you guys talking coaches earlier in the show, hopefully they end up with Scott Frost and can kind of turn that program around and provide some competition. Hopefully PJ Fleck turns it around at, at Minnesota and 
and they become even a bowl eligible team, like the team that he took over before they only had five wins this season. And, uh, and, and the Big Ten West is then a little bit more competitive. But I think over the next couple of seasons and in the past three seasons, that the strength of schedule has definitely been there. And to no fault of their own, their competition this year, you're always going to play your dogs. You're always going to play your Utah States. Uh, Alabama played Mercer two weeks ago. And maybe they they were still sleeping, and that's why they lost the Iron Bowl. But I look at that as kind of a a, a one of the things that Wisconsin should get knocked for this season, and rightfully so that that they have. But I don't think they have scheduled purposely the cupcakes that people want to make it out to sound like. Um, and as for your second question, what do I think is going to happen on Saturday? I was living in Cleveland when it was my first week there. I was working for ESPN Cleveland. I was covering the Cavaliers. We had a station event. And there were 600 Ohio State Buckeye fans in a room. I was the only one wearing a Wisconsin hat. And even when it was 38-0, they were still yelling at me. And it was one of the worst, best sporting experiences of my life. I don't (laughs) see the game this Saturday going that same way. I don't think emotionally I could handle that happening again. But I do think it's going to be a very, very close game. And uh, I won't throw a score prediction or anything out there, but I do think it's going to come down to which quarterback makes a play late in the game? Will it be the tenured vet in JT Barrett against Wisconsin's vaunted defense, or will it be Alex Hornibrook living up to the expectations that we've had of him for so long? I don't see 59-0 in the future anytime. I do see something in the high 20s, low 30s, maybe even last team that have the ball wins, but I do see it coming down to quarterback play and who makes the play with the game on the line. And with wow. that being said, we're playing hypothetical here, but uh... – but this this is on everybody's uh, question line. So if Ohio State beats Wisconsin, are they in the playoffs? I don't believe so, and here's why. I'll, t- I'll tell you why. They have yet to had have a two loss team make the college football playoff. Ohio State lost to Oklahoma, and they lost to Iowa this season. The Iowa loss looks bad, especially because Iowa lost two weeks later. Uh, to, I believe, Penn State or, or, or less – oh, no, to Purdue. They lost two weeks later to Purdue. So yeah. I don't think you can really compensate for that on the resume. But I also do believe that Ohio State, at the end of the season, if they beat Wisconsin, will be a top five, top six team. And it definitely makes the case – the same with TCU. It definitely makes the case for eight teams moving forward. And I think Ohio State and – uh, you know, their athletic director being on the board for the college football playoff committee, I do think if they are kept out as Big Ten championships, as Big Ten champions with two losses, will have a very, very strong case to achieve the goal, which I, no doubt is the goal of the committee, uh, to make this thing eight teams. That will be the perfect poster child for why it should be eight teams. Now, I don't think it should ever go to eight teams, but let's be honest, money rules the world. You guys keep it real on this show. So money rules the world. So it's going to go to eight teams uh, sooner than later. So I look at it as a – Ohio State would be the poster child, the, uh, the really the driving force behind that if they're Big Ten champs and left out. And you can't put them in over Oklahoma despite uh, Oklahoma having other losses, but because they uh, Oklahoma won head-to-head. And then if that happens, I think you just throw Bama in there because you know Bama's a top-four team despite losing the Iron Bowl. Right. So having said that, you know they're going to come out with the rankings tomorrow. Who are you? Who are you thinking about? Like your top six teams, if you were to sit in that room tomorrow, given what we saw last weekend. Well, so the way I look at it, I take Miami out of the top four, I take Alabama out of the top four, and now I'm looking at 
I, I got my Clemson, I got my Georgia, I got Auburn, and then I got Wisconsin. Because I think it's, it's really tough to keep Wisconsin out of it now. And then mm-hmm. we're probably right at number five, you're looking at Alabama or, or Oklahoma, and those are your top six right there. I think Miami falls to seven, uh, and they're I, – I honestly, I think they're done regardless. That's a bad loss to Pitt. Uh, and then and then you kind of just have a crapshoot from there. TCU probably at seven, maybe even eight. Uh, Miami could even fall to eight because TCU has two losses, but they look like a very, very good team, and they didn't lose to Pitt. So something something right along the lines there. Okay. And and, and I would be remiss if, uh, before we let you go, given all your years in Cleveland, um, and I know you got your ear to the street. Cavs are having an interesting start to this season. Um Kyrie's gone. What are you hearing on those in, in, in those streets of Cleveland? Do you feel like I, I don't think LeBron's going anywhere? All the stuff about going to the to West Coast it doesn't make sense to him. But where are they going? You got Derrick Rose leaving the team temporarily. Like where are they going in Cleveland? I, I figure why I got you on here. You know I, I might oh, as well tap sure. it to you. Yeah, so it's funny you bring that up. So they did a bit on, I believe it was Sports Nation on ESPN the other day, and they said, what year was this headline written? And they were going through headlines of every year since LeBron's been back in Cleveland. And the year that he moved back to Cleveland was my first year covering the team. And this team has habitually started slow. They've gotten it together. They're going to hit a lull in February, and they're going to turn it on, and they're going to end up in in the finals regardless. And that's just what LeBron James has done since he made the decision to go to Miami. He's had these ups and downs, these ups and downs. And they're doing this bit uh, on these old headlines, and they brought up some current ones. It's like, oh, Cavs start the season slow. How will it finish? Or trouble in the land and things like that. And they showed one of my headlines from 2014 (laughs) talking about the Cavs. And I was just like, we're in 2017, and this team has done the exact same thing. The regular season is so boring for those guys, man. I'll tell you, like, they can take two weeks off and not think twice about it, but they have mm. the king on their team as well. They they know where they're going to be playing in June. They know about that cross country flight to Oakland. Like it's just set up for that again. I mean, Kyrie, I think is good. He's one of the probably the most underrated player in the NBA, in my opinion. Because when that trade went down and people were saying it is as good as Kyrie, I was almost sick to my stomach to hear those things even be said. And knowing Kyrie as well as I do, having seen him play, knowing everything about his game. It, it, I thought that was just kind of blasphemous, but I don't. Also, I mean, it's been seven years. Like I was, what, a, a freshman in college the last time LeBron mm. James missed the NBA Finals. Like, that doesn't make mm. sense. That is, he's mm. been in the NBA Finals for so long. Why would anyone bet against him? So I just think this is one of those things that this team does, the LeBron James team-led team does, to kind of just horse around until until it matters. Well, well hey, man. First of all, you know, we're always proud of you and uh, glad that you came back to the underground and uh, graced us. You know, you, you've always uh, been there and support us wherever you could, and we appreciate that. And we, we've created a new tradition here on the One Mic where we, we let our guests drop the mic, where you just say who you are, where you're from, and you say uh, dropping the mic on RSG. We want you to do that. We want you to grace that mic for us right now before you exit stage left. Before I exit stage left, Tony Cartagena, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Southside, born and raised, UW Badgers on Wisconsin, mic drop. 
I love it. This is my guy. Hey, man, keep it blessed. You know I'm going to be with you in the streets. and You know I got to get on uh, – have fun down uh, in Indianapolis. I haven't figured out whether or not I'm going to go. You know, I don't, I don't have the same access like y'all had to the game. But I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to navigate it. But I know you're going to hold things down there. Uh, enjoy your time, man. We know we're going to hit it up on Twitter and text. Um, and uh, 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 let's, 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 let's connect soon, okay? Absolutely, guys. Whatever you guys need, you let me know. Thanks so much for having me. All right, man. That's Tony Cartagena, ESPN Madison, director of content. This is my guy. Much love in the game. This is how we get down uh, here on RSG, uh, just keeping it real on the real sports guys. You know, we got friends in high places. We love this. You know, uh, you know, my, my guy, uh, Hank, was delivering. It was That was a good, good interview, man. That was good, man. Uh, I got to play one of the old things when he was on the show at some point. Uh, this it, It's always fun when you get a chance to see somebody grow up in the business and do that thing. You know, he's he's a he's a star rising. I love that. Uh, man, there's a lot there, man. What, what did you what did you get from that conversation? There was a lot there. There was an awful lot there. Uh, and I will tell you right now, if I was a Wisconsin fan, I'd probably feel the same way I would do right now if Michigan was playing. You know, you know you got this solid defense. You know that they can bring it. You know it's championship caliber. But I am tight in the draws because I don't know <laughs> if my going to throw the ball to the other team or if my young running back going to drop the ball at the wrong time. I'm happy. I'm excited. I'd be nervous, just like I was if Dick Blue was in there. You know, I envy you guys, uh, D, coming this Saturday. It's got to be exciting. You got to be antsy. You got a chance to go to the playoffs for the second year in a row if you can just pull this one off. And right now, I can tell you on on, on behalf of Blue Nation, you know it's going to be on Wisconsin down here. You know because we wouldn't pull for the Buckeyes if they were playing Al Qaeda. <laughs> hey, we go on that note. And y'all know that's going to be one of my intros in the future. On that note, we we gonna take a break and come back and talk more college football here on RSG. What might we ain't gonna support you if they was playing Al Qaeda? <laughs>
Uh, Sundays, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be doing that Maxine Waters, reclaiming my time, reclaiming my time. Hi, this is Brett Bielma, the head coach of the University of Arkansas Razorbacks, and you're keeping it real with the real sports guys. Whoopig. Not anymore. That leads right anymore, into man. our segment. <laughs> Not anymore. I got to reach out to my guy, Brett, but I, there's been a lot of coaching changes out there. We're talking college football. This is one mic brought to you by Carbon World Health, our, our, our uh, solution, our, health, our fitness, health, and beauty uh, solution. Uh, go to CarbonWorldHealth.com, connect with Dr. Nestor Rodriguez and his staff to learn more about lifestyle medicine. Tell them that the Real Sports Guys sent you. Follow us on Real Sports Guys on all platforms. Make sure you like us, uh, follow us, whatever you need to do to get us engaged. We're on one mic uh, today. It's Rocky at the top. It's Rocky and Rocky Top Country. That's what that's been the name of this podcast. We just had a great segment with Tony Contiana, uh ESPN Madison. Uh, he's the director of content there, formerly with ESP Cleveland. Um, had a uh, he's he's a rising star. You know, he started out uh, coming out hanging us when he was an undergrad. He was an intern on Big Ten Network. He came on our and he's just doing wonderful things. It was good to have him talking to us about you know the Badgers as as they get ready for uh, they're facing off with the uh, uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes in the Big Ten championship down there in Indianapolis in Lucas Oil. But as we said, you know, good you know friend of the program. I had to say Brett Bielema. He's one of the first people to come on when he was at Wisconsin uh, to be on our show. Uh, whatever we've asked, he's come and been a part of it. But uh, the Razorbacks let him go. Um, they let uh, Kevin Sumlin got let go down to Texas A&M. Uh, we got openings all over the place. Uh, we got coaches being offered stuff at Tennessee, then they're taking it back. It's wild. We got Chip Kelly showing up in L.A., which I think is a great match. I think UCLA – was a great match for him. But I want to talk to my man, Hank. Man, man, man. Now, we talked about Brett being on shaky ground. We've been pretty honest about that. Um, and, I, and I also think the Razorbacks, it's a tough job, man. But it's, it's, it's another one of those tough jobs uh, because your fans got to have realistic expectations given who you're competing with in that uh, SEC West in terms of how you're going to build a program. Um, you know, Brett was hit with some injuries. I thought they would have tried to give him one more shot, but you know, I, I can understand it, right? They, they, and, but over six, was it close to sixty million dollars have been paid in these buyouts, man? Man, yeah. all the business around this, um, all the checks being written by boosters, um, and people say this isn't about money. Now, this is something I definitely could have talked to Tony about, and uh, we gonna get him about because I think he loves when we talk about this kind of stuff, but. How do you make sense of this whole college carousel, college coaching carousel? And this is hard for fans to understand because we just talked about a little bit with Michigan. How do you have the right perspective <laughs> as a fan base about who you're going to be? Not everybody's going to be Alabama. And I think one of the, the, the dirty secrets people haven't figured out about the SEC, and I've talked about this before, the reason, one of the advantages the SEC has over places like Michigan, this is what makes Ohio State so impressive, to tell you the truth, um, and places like UCLA and Wisconsin, is that most of these Big Ten schools, because of the way the Big Ten alliance works and, and how they set this up, 
these institutions have between 23 and sometimes up to 30 intercollegiate athletic uh, sports, which means when you think about um, the balance you have to have in terms of gender and everything else, makes it really difficult for you to run a top football program. If you look at most SEC schools, they have at max 14 intercollegiate sports. And people don't understand, which allows them the ability to build football in a different way. So there's, there's structural advantages in certain places. And that's why, I mean, as much as we hate Ohio State or we might push back on it if you're a Wolverine fan or whatever, you know, uh, Ohio State has, I think, like 28, maybe more intercollegiate sports. And they still have a top uh, football program, uh, pretty competitive basketball program, um, even in the midst of that, right? So how is it, how do you have, a, I mean, how do you have realistic expectations when you're talking about hiring for coaches and stuff like this? I mean, w- what's your approach? And when you look at some of these openings, where do you think some of these institutions need to go? Well, look, here's the problem, okay? Um, what, what college football has become is big business, okay? And what it's doing is instead of the money trickling up, like you would think it would, once upon a time it did. I want you to think about this a minute. Once upon a time, the money, all the money trickled to the NFL, okay? The college players would do what they did for these colleges, for, for, their, for their college, and trickle on over to the NFL and make their millions, okay? Now what's happening is that the college game, and for these institutions, not so much for the players, for these institutions has become big business, Okay? It's become big business. It really started, D, on a smaller level when Pete Carroll came back to USC and then started winning championships. What that did was start a trend of NFL coaches coming to the uh, college game and then turning whole programs around and turning them into many NFL franchises. Then here comes Nick Saban doing the same thing. Okay, now you've got some historic college coaches that's done well, your Urban Myers, uh, and Dabo Sweeney's, and Jimbo Fisher's to a lesser extent. But you're seeing that jump from one to the other. So now you're getting that NFL influence. Now, you all of a sudden, you've gone from the BCS to a legitimate playoff. Playoff. What that means is now you've gone to the super conferences. You've got a Big Ten conference that's got 14 teams in it. You've got other conferences that they're trying to expand to 16 teams. And what this does is it brings in more revenue for more of these uh, institutions. And what does that do? That means that now my institution needs to become relevant so that I can be on TV at prime time, so that I can get more uniforms and do whatever else to bring more revenue to my institution. Now, that means that your mom-and-pop coach, okay, don't have the time he needs to have to really build a program of relevance, all right? So you get big-name programs like your Texas A&Ms, your University of Tennessee's, your UCLA's, brand-name programs that need to get back on the map quickly, okay? Once upon a time, you got a coach, you gave him four years to get his uh, freshman class to seniors, and then you start to see progress, and you and everything is good, okay? But now with the advent of the playoff, all right, and with the advent of getting your team to the conference championship game, which 
you know, once upon a time didn't exist for a lot of these programs, for a lot of these uh, conferences. You know, you had the big two or the little eight or whatever else like that. Now you've got a chance to really get involved with there, to get involved into your conference championships. And then you've got the New Year's Six Bowl games, which is now sponsored by, you know, big money sponsors. So it's all about money, okay? It's all about money. So you look at a program like a Tennessee or UCLA, okay, sure, we'll buy you out because we think that the uh, the risk is worth the reward. Okay, we'll go get another coach that's going to put us really on the map, a Chip Kelly, a brand name, who's got a team to a national championship when he was at Oregon, who, who was in the pros for a little bit. Now I'm going to start getting butts in the Rose Bowls in the regular season and start getting on some more primetime games because of that. That's the problem that uh, uh, Kevin Sumlin was having in Texas A&M, okay? He has to have a snowball chance in hell of winning there, okay, if he didn't get it done real quick. He got off to a great start because Johnny Manziel won the Heisman Trophy, okay? He's a good coach, but the way college football is going right now, 8-4, and 9-3, ain't going to cut it. A bad loss ain't going to cut it, okay? I think what you're going to start seeing, you and I talked about it a little bit more, is for coaches to really gain uh, job security, they're going to have to go back to their alma maters and try to coach. That's the only way it's going to be difficult for them to lose their job. But Jim Harbaugh is safe. A rule in Miami is safe, okay? Uh, uh, Paul Chris, even though he's been very successful, he's safe, okay? Because they're not going to get rid of coaches like that. They've got too much of a connection, okay, unless they just absolutely just blow. But this is why you're seeing it so fast. And also what we talked about a little bit on our last show was the uh, early signing period that's happening now. These programs have got to hurry up and make a, a move and get a coach signed so that they don't lose recruits. That's also money. Okay, you lose if you lose a recruiting battle, now all of a sudden you're really uptight. So I think all of those things is happening. And let's face it, college football has become a lot more exciting to watch, and the revenue on it has gotten a lot uh, higher since they've gone to the playoff. Okay, and 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 it, and, it, and it's right now it's it's killing the NFL as far as. Uh, you know, uh, uh, interest. Yeah. And I would say, you know, and Texas A&M is a prime example of, of, um, overplaying your hand. And the reason why I'm saying is that when they moved to the SEC, um, moving out of, of the, the big 12 where they were right. was a mistake. And, um, and I think they're seeing it now with the way Oklahoma is basically running that. And if you were to put Sumlin coaching in the Big 12 and you got you got Oklahoma teeing off against Texas A&M and TCU, I mean, think about what that would mean. Like your pathway to the championship is uh, with, with, with Oklahoma State, it's, it's, it's competitive, right? It's competitive, but it's not like you're going up against Alabama who's decided that they're going to put all the chips in their program. Like you cannot right. – you cannot – compete and I think one of the issues that UCLA had and that's why, that's why I think Chip is a perfect coach for them because Chip can win unconventionally without some of these other things uh, because of the way he runs his system but you got to give him certain things uh, but you're not going to put the kind of stuff Alabama put into there if you're not going to do that then you can't play Alabama's game 
So right. I mean, he got like uh, like Saban got what twenty some people on payroll. He only got like nine coaches, full time coaches, but he got all these other people. He's got an NFL scouting department, right? He's right. got an NFL scouting department for high school players. Like he's built, a, like you said, an NFL structure. He's got scouting departments that are hired are 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 football like people in administrative jobs. He he's set it up like an NFL organization. He's got right. player development. He's got all that stuff. Nobody's going to spend that kind of money. And the reason why they can do that is because they only got 14 intercollegiate sports, right? So they, that money that would have gone into crew, <laughs> that money that would have gone into field hockey, that money that would have gone into one of these other things is now not going into it. And now you right. can take those coaches that you would have had over there and put them in administrative staff on the football side. So I mm-hmm. think that's, so when people were making jockeying and going into all these super things, they were chasing something that was fool's gold. Mm-hmm. And you got to know who you are. The thing I appreciate, we just had this conversation about Wisconsin. If you were on Barry Alvarez and folks like that, he understands who they are. Right. It don't mean he ain't pushing for national championships, but he got a process for how they're going to do it. And he knows he's not going to do it the Alabama way, but he's going to do it. He's doing it. They're doing it at Wisconsin almost like Osborne did it at Nebraska with a lot of mm-hmm. fifth-year players. We're just older and smarter and wiser. Like, that's the style we're going to win with. You might have some cats right. who are going to graduate after three years. We're going to have some guys who are going to be – we're going to have some graduate transfers. We're going to have some other stuff. We're going to win that way. you got to know who you are. And I don't think programs like Texas A&M, Tennessee, all these folks, I think they got a warped view of who they are. And, and I think that's, that's, that's I think that's a major issue. And if you can't get a sense of that, you're in trouble. And let me add this too. See, we just talked. We started the show talking about is Rocky at Rocky Top, because see, a Greg Schiano, okay, you, you when you when you do what they did, understand this: you are not the only dog in the pound, okay? You are not the only one. When you look at these jobs that looks very attractive to a coach like a Chiano or even a Brett Bielema, you're looking at a Nebraska, Texas A&M, an Arkansas, Arizona State, a Florida, Tennessee, okay? You're talking about some pretty major programs that's got some major money to spend, okay? This is not the year where you've got the lesser than, yeah, Oregon State looking for a coach, but so what? So you've got a lot of uh, big-time coaches, that's going to, when this carousel is over and done with, it's going to make some pretty good money, okay? And the problem with a Tennessee not landing their man is now they're going to be one of many jobs that's going to be open, all right? And these coaches are going to say, I got a chance to go to the best fit, all right? But here's Tennessee out here making moral decisions on coaches who ain't done nothing wrong, okay, because they know somebody. And so I don't need to even touch them. They're going to be my last choice if I can't get to Nebraska or A&M or Arkansas. You see, this is the quandary that these schools is, is having right now. That's why there is such a big push, but they better get their man. And see, because now coaches are going to have the same opportunities as the players do. You know, how the players have all these schools on their, on their dance card when they're going through recruiting. Now you're going to have some big-time coaches who are going to do the same thing with these programs. Okay, and so the 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 school administrators and make these decisions. It was it would it would behoove them to have their list ready to go before they let them coaches go. Otherwise, 
you're going to have a lot of guys you ain't never heard of before getting these big jobs, and in three years, they're going to be at it again. And, and, and that's one of the reasons. And one of the things, like when, when Brett moved, when Brett left, um, when, 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 when Brett left Wisconsin, and, you know, I was like, this is not a good match. I think his next job he's going to get is going to be the job that he probably should have gone to do when he left Wisconsin. He'll get something that's a better fit for him. But the yeah. thing that I realized why I could take the chance was what they what, what these schools are ended up doing is because when you're in that situation, now it's a buyer's market like Tennessee, your buyout for whoever's going to sign with you because they already see how you act, the buyout is going to be huge. And right. at what point is is uh, you, are you going to be locked into somebody that administration are going to be saying, we just can't keep paying these buyouts. These are public institutions. You you talking about sixty million dollars going to coaches at mostly public institutions, taxpayers' money. So, so when you see something like that, and and what, what these coaches are getting smarter because of their agents is that they're setting up these stronger buyout clauses, and so it locks you in at a point uh, unless you got a Brinks truck, like some some of these institutions with a main donor who who gonna have control, it locks you in wrong. And the other thing that, that, that pushes you is when you have something like this, you delay the onboarding of the coach. And this is where it goes back to our Michigan conversation that I think a lot of people even at Michigan don't understand. When Harbaugh came in, the recruiting season was basically over. In that recruiting class that he came in with, he was able to salvage a few people who are now on the field. Where he got hurt the right. most is was, and this is a question you had, is that he wasn't able to secure offensive linemen in that class. He's only able to bring in like two or three offensive linemen in that class. And you don't understand how that sets you back, not having being able to get into a recruiting class. And so Harbaugh is still trying to make up for the timing when he came in because he wasn't able to take advantage of that year and get the kind of recruiting class he had of stu- folks who are going to be juniors next year. So that, that, exactly. that is a, that's a smaller class. And so when you don't get it right here early, like this Tennessee thing, kills you because here's a guy who's already been looking at kids on defense because he's at Ohio State. He's already been talking to kids who might come with him, right, who are top players because Ohio State was looking at them. And they, 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 they're coming there because he's the defensive coordinator. And you're talking to him now in uh, beginning of December, and, and you almost signed him in December. That meant he would have probably come in with a strong recruiting class. He would have had enough right. time to secure the kids who are already in the, in the know. And at the same time, he would have been able to add his kids who he's already been talking to who are thinking about going to Ohio state. So right. that costs you in ways that you can hard for you to recover. Most fans don't understand that. Exactly. Exactly. And see the other piece to that is, well, we talk about the coaches buyout, but what have we seen a trend that kind of started when Jim Harbaugh got hired, and that's these institutions getting rid of the athletic director, okay? Because the athletic directors are the ones that hire these coaches that they got to buy out in three years, and it usually costs them their job. So you just think about the amount of money that these schools are willing to spend, okay, just to try to get their uh, football programs so relevant. I mean, it's costing not just coaches' jobs, and assistants and coordinators, but also athletic directors. Now that also now that impacts your entire athletic program, okay? Because now you've got a new athletic director that you've got to acclimate to your entire athletic program. 
simply because of a move made with the football with the football program. And that is another thing that is unfathomable for the average fan to even get their get their heads around. That that in some of these cases your entire athletic program to an institution has to go through a whole other onboarding and rebuild simply because of the success or the unsuccess of your football team. That's crazy, ain't it? You're right on. So many things depend on that. It funds so many other activities in athletics. Um, There's so many people counting on that being organized. It's all these other Olympic sports, these other sports. There's so much that football and these other sports, the football drives for the athletic department, how it sets its budget um, for everybody else. You're right. It, it, It dictates so much of what everybody else is able to do. And they would really rely on that being solid. And I think one of the reasons why it's good we have Wisconsin is one of the few programs in the country that are uh, always in the black. And they don't have any money that comes from very little money that comes from the state to their program. And they've run that thing like a machine. And part of it is because they've had stability in football. And it's really kind of driven. And uh, with Alvarez, they've been able to invest in, they got elite women's hockey program. They got elite, lot, they built facilities for them. They got, you know, they're building facilities for their wrestling program is nice. The volleyball facility, they converted an old stadium. Like all those things uh, 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 are ripple effects of having a solid and stabilized football program. So I think you're hitting on a lot of important things that I think as we look moving forward, we want to pay attention as they start filling some of these positions. Um, we want to be able to, um, uh, you know, uh, tap into. Uh, I do want to say, uh, I want to hit you on a couple of things that just happened in the game this week. Is it time to retire the turnover chain? You know, after after you lose, it's in his pit, like the Iowa of the East. <laughs> like they don't beat right. Clemson, and they do it on the road. They're a little bit different than Iowa. They actually beat Clemson in Clemson. They, they got Miami with at home, but is is Pitt like the new Iowa? <laughs> like they 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 might go three, five and seven or whatever, four or five, uh, four and six. But they'll get that one signature victory that'll keep you alive. It, Miami was playing with something. Were you surprised when you saw that? I was stunned. I absolutely was stunned. You know, I thought that when I saw their score, I'm like, that can't be. I, I couldn't understand how in the world uh, the way Miami played defense against Notre Dame, that they allowed themselves to have 24 points scored against them and then was only able to muster 14. That shocked me just I think it shocked anybody else. But this is college football, and, and we fail to realize, D, that, you know, these are student athletes, okay? These are 19- to 23-year-old kids. They're playing a game on an unconventional day, all right, on the road, and it's just not that professional mentality, okay? And, we, and, and this is what makes this game so fun. Okay, everybody marked off well, we, we have, that Miami's going to just take out uh, Pittsburgh. Oh, lo and behold, it doesn't happen. Or oh, Ohio State is going to roll over Iowa. Oh, lo and behold, it doesn't happen. Or, you know, what we saw in the Iron Bowl. You know, um, this is college football. This is the unpredictability of this game that makes it so great, makes it so exciting because any given day now, you can't even say even get any given Saturday, because they play Tuesday through Saturday sometimes during the season. You could see something. And, yeah, here's the thing. Yeah, you don't 
they, they need to get away from all that distracted stuff and stay focused with some of these kids. Oh, we're going to get the turnover chain. Next thing you know, you lose to Pittsburgh on a Friday night, and now your championship coach are that dashed. It's funny. But, uh, yeah, it it, it 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 was stunning. I didn't expect it. And this is the stuff that Georgia fans would say, I told you so. It's the right. kind of losses that Mark Rick wins so many games, but these kind of losses – it's getting blown out by Boise State in Atlanta uh, a few years back, like run out the place when you got a top team. It's these kind of losses that used to annoy uh, Georgia fans that they'll do. And then we got War Eagle. They 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 hit the tide over the head with the Iron Bowl. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. and I know Dr. Jackson. I got if he's listening, uh, you know his his alma mater. Uh, the uh, Auburn, and he—I know he probably smoked a cigar and was 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 laughing at his colleagues from uh, uh, who 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 who, uh, who who graduated from Alabama. They they always have a they always have a viewing party up there at Madison, um, but that's fierce. But uh, Auburn's for real, man. Uh, Auburn's for real. <laughs> they dominated that game. They dominated that game. They beat Alabama's butt. Now. Here's the thing, all right? They, they they get Georgia back, all right? It's at a neutral site, and Georgia wants them bad, okay? Georgia feels like they played a bad game. It was the first game they played after being ranked number one. Um, we're going to see. That's going to be probably the game of the day. You know, I can't wait for that one. Well, yeah, and, and that one, and, and, and just don't step up and get beat down again, Georgia, because – Right, <laughs> you know, Alabama coming at people like Mike Tyson with with bolo punches. You got to be ready for it, but it, they, they they better be mad. But the best game mm-hmm. I watched, and I watched this one uh, with some family members because they they had a child at one of these schools. UCF against US USF. Uh, oh, that uh, was a good South Florida. That was a good game. That was a good game. And it, and it tells you, and no one's paying attention, like two really good football teams. That game was up and down the field. I had so much fun watching that game. And it just reminds you of how we're not paying attention to these teams and the fact that UCF, UCF is uh, was sitting behind Mississippi State. It, 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 some of this stuff is just a travesty. But I, I, I was just impressed by that game. You know, two really good coaches, um, coaching kids getting after each other. You know, a lot of these kids know each other from high school and have played. Uh, that was just a, a great game uh, to watch. And, and whoever these two teams playing a ball game better come with it. They better come with <laughs> it. Right? Yeah, we've been talking about them all season. I told you about um, uh, Charlie Strong's team there and, 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 and saying that, they're a good team, but they make too many doggone mistakes, too many penalties. And then Scott Frost with Central Florida, they were up and coming. He had some nice talent. We I saw it, you know, up close and personal when when they were here in Ann Arbor, um, with some great talent. And you're right, they get to a bowl game, somebody gonna think they gotta walk over against a Central Florida or South Florida. They are going to have, uh, they're going to have a surprise. I just hope it ain't Michigan. <laughs> that, it, it feels like that might be a matchup that you just don't want. Like, it, but no, I just I got a feeling they're gonna make them do it. You know, they're gonna end up playing them like in San Diego or something like that. But nobody wants to see either one of those teams. 
And then we had Tony on here. We had Tony on here, and 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 the Badgers got hit over the head. Uh, Badgers hit the Minnesota over the head with Paul Bunyan axe. TJ, uh, uh, PJ Fleck, maybe next year. So there's a lot going on, man. We're wrapping the show up. We were gonna get to some college basketball. We're gonna do that next time. Uh, I'm gonna let you drop the mic. I'm gonna let you close right. it out and do it. All right. Listen, um, I want to kind of talk a little bit about fandom, okay? Uh, especially since we spent the whole show talking about college football. Listen, uh, I kind of mentioned it briefly, but I want to make it very clear to everybody, folks, that enjoy the game, enjoy your teams, root, cheer. You know, wear your favorite colors. But understand that these are young men, ages 19, 18, 19, 23-year-olds, okay? They go to class. They have families, all right? Uh, after the Michigan game, as excruciating as that was of a loss, uh, you have fans telling kids, go kill yourself after a bad play. It's a game. It's a game played by young men who love the sport. Okay, contrary to popular belief, they're not being paid. Uh, enjoy the game. Enjoy your teams. But understand who's playing the game. And give them a pat on the back for representing your colors the best way that they know how. 